0: Our scripture reading tonight is Exodus chapter 19, reading the whole chapter, page 76 in the Church Bible. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai. And Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Make them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not go up the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on him. Whether man or animal, he shall not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they go up to the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, Prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning, with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai, and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people, so that they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up Mount Sinai, because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain, and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, Go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. This is God's word to us.
1: Well, if you have um, younger children or grandchildren, or you can remember those days when you, you did, um, you would, have, I'm sure at some stage, have gone through the terrible experience for the child of losing their favourite teddy bear. You can do all you can to try and find it. You can remind them how many other cuddly toys they have. You promise them you'll get them another one. But it's no good. Whatever you do, you cannot calm them down. You don't know what made that one so special to your child, but special it is, and it can't be replaced. Our son, Zach, has, um, I don't know how many cuddly toys that he's accumulated over the years, um, but there are only two that he would ever um, take away with him, or have in bed with him. One is Panda, no prizes for guessing what sort of animal that is, and the slightly more originally named um, Flapjack, both treasured possessions. Possessions. Well, this evening we come to the end of our sermon series in Exodus, and we reach the high points in the book, literally, as Moses climbs the mountain of the Lord. And here God makes clear to the people of Israel just how special they are to him, how much he treasures them. You might recall back in um, chapter 3 when God first appeared to Moses on Mount Sinai, uh, and he called Moses to rescue his people. He said this to them, he said, I'll be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent to you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Now that would have seemed quite a long time ago. A lot of things have passed since then. Um, but now, after all those experiences that they've gone through, the whole nation of Israel is approaching the mountain where they're about to meet with God. The journey has taken three months. It's taken six chapters to describe But now they will remain here at Mount Sinai for the next year. And the events that are going to happen over the course of that year will take the writer uh, 59 chapters of the Bible to describe. uh, Going through to the end of Exodus, uh, through Leviticus and into into Numbers. And in this chapter alone, in chapter 19, Moses will climb Mount Sinai three times as he listens to God, as he brings God's message back to the people. And for the people to meet God is no straightforward thing when he's such a holy God. And we have this vivid imagery here, don't we, of God's holiness and the thunder, the lightning, the the trumpet blast, the smoke and the, the fire. Serious warnings given about the need for the people to consecrate themselves and not to go near the mountain. And not only did the people tremble, the whole mountain, it says, trembled. This is a holy God, and yet this is also a personal God. At the beginning of the series, I said that the main theme of, Moses, of Exodus is God's covenant relationship with his people. And it's in this chapter that we find the verses that um, I said earlier on almost summarise, I guess, the whole book of Exodus. Have a look at uh, verse 3 of chapter 19 there says, then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. And these are these key words. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And the middle of those verses are the treasure that it was worth coming so far for. Because here God describes his people as my treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, a, a holy nation. He's saying, well, the whole earth is mine, out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Imagine how that would have made them feel. That the God who made the whole world and to whom the whole earth belongs should choose them. We'll come on to what that means shortly. But we're going to to look at this passage and focus on these few verses under the following headings. What God has done, what God promises, and what God requires. And then we're going to consider the implications of that for us today. What God has done, verse 4 says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You yourselves have seen. The Israelites don't need to be convinced that they've been rescued. They saw with their own eyes what happened in Egypt, all the plagues that were brought down by God on the Egyptians. And clear still in their memories is that moment when they, they got out of Egypt and the Egyptians pursued them. The whole army of Egypt was so thundering towards them with all the chariots, the most powerful army in the world at that time. And we're told they were terrified. But like the protective wings of an eagle, God took them out of that danger and he brought them to safety. It was nothing to do with the Israelites' strength or their their military cunning, but as God said, I brought you to myself. Tolkien used that same image of the Lord of the Rings. You've seen the film, you remember that image of being carried on eagles' wings. Quite a real one. And the point here is that God used his power to rescue the people of Israel from a a terrible existence of slavery in Egypt. But the reason he did that was because he loved them, he cared for them. And in rescuing them, he brought them to himself. The people cried out. and Without setting any sort of conditions on their release, we're told he simply had mercy on them. And he used his sovereign power to rescue them. Well, as we pointed out um, before in the sermon series, that rescue of Israel from physical slavery in Egypt was very much foreshadowing our own rescue from slavery to sin through the Lord Jesus Christ. Both acts of mercy by a loving God. Why did God rescue the people of Israel? Well, because he'd made a covenant with his people. Have a look back at chapter 2, verse 24. Told there, starting at verse 23, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery. They cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. God remembered his covenant. And what Exodus is about is God keeping a covenant that he had already made. This is not a new covenant here. This is a deepening of an existing covenant that God made with Israel's ancestors long ago. What was that covenant? Well, if we want to remind ourselves of that, let's flick back to Genesis 12, verse 1. Page 13 of the Bible. This is what the Lord says to, to Abraham in verse 2. In fact, he says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's an important part of that covenant, which God promises to bless his people. But through them, all peoples on earth will be blessed. And we'll come back to that. We're well, first going back to chapter 19 of Exodus, tells us what God has done. What does verse 5 tell us? Well, it tells us what God promises. And the first thing that he promises is that out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. And the reason that God mentions that all the earth is his is to make it clear that for Israel to be his treasured possession means that his love for them is, is greater than the general love that he has for all that he's created. He's saying he will be their God They will be his people in a very special way. They will have blessings far beyond those of other nations. There's a bit of a reluctance, I think, these days to feel that we are anybody's possession, that anybody should have a hold over us. And it's that which I think puts a lot of people off getting married. They're happy to to live with someone, but they want to retain their, their freedom, their independence. I don't know if any of you know the singer Jessica Simpson. Simpson actually released a song a couple of years ago called I Belong to Me. And the lyrics of that song went like this. I belong to me. I don't belong to you. My heart is my possession. I'll be my own reflection. To belong to someone means to sacrifice part of yourself. And the trouble is people don't want to do that. They fear they'll, they'll lose something when in fact actually they'll gain much more. And that's certainly the case if we belong to God because it is in making a sacrifice of his love, life for us that we've become a treasure possession. And that sacrifice is the one we'll be celebrating around the Lord's table this evening. Yes, we're called as Jesus' disciples to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, but that is because he has already denied himself on the cross for us. Also, the fact that God made us in the first place means that we belong to him. We owe our whole existence to him. And that is why we know that sin is so serious, because it is rejecting the one who created us. Well, God makes the Israelites his treasure possession. The amazing thing is that they didn't do anything to, to deserve that. Let's have a look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7. Sorry we're flicking about a bit this evening, but all... Very useful verses. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, on page 186. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Why? Why? The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath, the covenant, he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. The Israelites were God's treasured possession. And in the New Testament, Christians are described as, as precious to God. We are precious to him. We're chosen by him. And again, not because of anything that we have done, but because of what Jesus did for us, because of his love for us. God promises that Israel will be be a treasured possession. He also promises, back in chapter 19, in verse 6, that they will be a kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests. The great privilege of being a priest was the uh, intimate access that you have to God. The priests drew near to God. They interceded on behalf of the people. And later on, when the... uh, The Israelites entered the promised land. The the priests didn't um, inherit any land because what they inherited was um, the Lord, the Lord himself. And this privilege of of access to God is also promised to the whole nation here. It's emphasized when when God calls them a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood, priests in the service of a king. There's no greater privilege than to have intimate access to the king of the universe. But as we mentioned earlier, and as we see from this this whole chapter, this access to God at this stage in in Israel's history is not straightforward. The people can't simply come as they are. God tells Moses to make sure they are consecrated, made holy. They are to wash themselves, to abstain from sexual relations. They're not to, to force their way through to see God. The amazing thing about the new covenant, when you come to the new testament, is that Christ has broken down this barrier between God and man. We now have received the righteousness of Christ and we can approach the throne of God, the throne of grace with confidence. Ephesians 3 says, In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Now, what that doesn't mean, of course, is that we should be casual in the way we approach God. And yesterday in the leadership training course, we were looking at uh, spiritual disciplines, at ways in which we can, can come closer to God. We're we are given access to him, but so often we, we keep ourselves at a distance from him. We throw up barriers ourselves between us and God because of the way we, we live, because of worldly things that we allow to come between us and God. God promises that Israel will be a kingdom of priests. And finally in verse 6, that they will be a holy nation. And we can understand this, description of Israel as holy in, in, I think, two ways. One is that she will be set apart. She will be distinguished from all the other peoples around because of that special relationship that she has with God. And secondly, she would share God's holy character. In other words, have a moral likeness to God. As God says, be holy for I am holy. So if Israel is described as a treasure possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. How do we claim these promises for ourselves today as Christians? Well, I think to to see that would be helpful just to turn to the New Testament, to um, 1 Peter. Have a look at 1 Peter chapter 2. You'll find that on page 1218 of the Church Bible's Here we're told, as you come to him, as we approach him, the living stone, this is Jesus Christ now, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The key here is in the words, as you come to Him. If we put our faith in Jesus, then that righteousness is credited to us. And that is how we become a holy priesthood. That is, is how our sacrifices of praise or thanksgiving become acceptable to God. The one who trusts in Him, it says here, will never be put to shame. And so we become, in verse 9, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Those same descriptions that were applied to the people of Israel, applied to us as Christians today, to the church. These are the promises that were made then that we can claim today if we put our trust in Jesus. But what about that? Um, if we go back to chapter 19 of Exodus, what about that little condition, though, that's attached? It's because it's a bit of a problem here, isn't it? You know, yes, there are these, these promises, but before he mentions those promises, if we look at verse 5, he says, "Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasure possession." And so we come on to the final point: What does God require? Now what we need to make clear here is that that there, there was no condition attached to God rescuing Israel in the first place. He did that out of his love, out of his mercy. But there is a condition to them continuing in that love and receiving the blessings of that covenant. This is not a condition in order to be saved. This is what is expected of the people having already been redeemed by God. Once saved, they are expected to act in a manner worthy of uh, that calling. Well, what exactly is this covenant that they're meant to keep? Many would say it's referring to what is about to come, the, the, the giving of the law. Um, others would say, well, it looks back to the covenant that God has already established with Abraham. I think in many ways that it is a looking back because you know, when Moses tells the people what God has said, the people respond in verse 8 saying, we will do everything the Lord has said. Now, of course, we know that Israel was not able to obey God fully. They were not able to keep the covenant. They were not able to, to obey the, the laws that God gave them. They were not able to show, show the nations around them how much they fully trusted God and loved God. For hundreds of years, they, they stumbled along, never quite making it. Time after time, they failed. And that despite all the warnings of the, the prophets. And so later on, when, when Isaiah comes, he, he says... Um, He introduces them to a a character called the servant of the Lord. And this is what his task is. The servant of the Lord's task is is to restore the tribes of Jacob, bring back those of Israel I have kept, but it is also to be a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Israel was not going to be able to fulfil that calling of being a, a, a blessing to all the nations. And so Jesus did it for her. Remember that passage we had this morning from from Luke when uh, uh, his parents brought the baby Jesus into the temple and Simeon was there and received the baby. Remember those words that Simeon said? For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Jesus is the the true Israel, the true son, in whom the promise to Abraham, that covenant promise, is fulfilled. Because through his death and resurrection, all nations will be blessed. And that leads on to the role of the church, because as the people of God, the church is united with Christ. And so we are now the means through which God is going to bless the world, bless the nations, And we see that in the story of the early church when Paul and Barnabas uh, preach in Antioch. um, They claimed that same promise. That promise that God had made in Isaiah for themselves. They said that I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now that should help us understand what it means to be a kingdom of priests. To be a holy nation. Because what does a priest do? He intercedes between people and God. What is the nation of Israel doing in deceiving between God and the rest of the nations? What is the church doing? Yes, we are a holy nation. Yes, we are set apart. We are different from those who don't know Christ. We enjoy a special relationship with God. But why have we been set apart? So we can be a holy huddle and uh, look down on others who are less privileged? No what it said back in 1 Peter 3 was you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people belonging to God, why? that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light that you may declare the praises of him to the world well how do we do that as as we finish, well um, go back to, to 1 Peter if you haven't got a finger in there, to 1 Peter 2 And Peter writes, dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. As God's chosen people, as his treasured possession, we can approach him with confidence. And that is a great privilege, but we're not chosen just to be able to do that. We're chosen so that through our distinctiveness, through our good deeds, others would look at us and praise God for his power, praise God for his love. And that doesn't mean that um, when people come into our worship service on a Sunday they would be impressed, although I hope they would be. It means when people meet us outside of this church, throughout the week, when people meet us in a a planning committee meeting at AVDC's offices, when people meet us in the flower pot or the the eight bells, when they meet us uh, at a coffee machine in the workplace, at the Keep Fit Club, on the football pitch, that they will see the love of God being displayed in the way we behave towards them. It means as strangers in the world we will display a different reaction towards disappointment, towards death, towards financial loss, towards somebody in need. There are many ways in which we can demonstrate the love of God. I think uh, if you've come across this book, I've mentioned it before, but it's a great book which um, talks about how we, can be, uh, how we can do mission by being good neighbours. Um, everyday church, how we can be missionaries wherever God has called us to be. We are the means through which God wants to bless the world. That is the the covenant that God made with Abraham. It's the covenant he made with Israel. It's the covenant he makes with the church. And that is a huge responsibility. But it's a great joy. And it's a great privilege. Not just to belong to God's chosen people. But to see others praise God
0: through our actions.